Welcome to the DSO Decision with uh, my friend and co-guest, David Cohen. David, hello. How's it going? I'm excited to talk about uh, this topic today. We're talking about all the the major elements of a DSO deal that are going to move price, enterprise value up and down. We're going to talk about um, you know intelligent questions to ask, the types of things that can ding a dentist if they're unaware hopefully just give people a ton of great value in this uh, this episode. So folks listening, this is episode four. It's episode four of 20. We're inspired by Netflix seasons. We want to get you, you know, the ability to uh, binge listen to this if you really want to, or to come back to it and try to do it in bite-sized pieces. So this episode is, um, we're going to title this, you know, probably, can you think of something creative, David? We need to come up with a really cool title, but um uh, you know, just all the things that can move price up and down. How about that? Yeah, I would say, um, well, I'm on the spot here. I would say, um, you know, um, you know, price range factors or something. There like you that. go. Yes. Yeah. We need to, yeah. Holdbacks. So in particular, we're going to talk about holdbacks, earnouts, and subordination. We're going to define all those terms. We're going to talk about what's typical intelligent questions to ask, uh, red flags to avoid. I would imagine along the way, there are going to be some other, um, I'll call them minor, they may not be minor on your deal, but minor factors like seller financing or, you know, stock and a group, you know, buying the whole practice versus buying all, you know, a portion of the practice, some of those things. So um, let's, let's start with the big three, holdbacks, earnouts, and subordination. Let's, and let's go in that order. Uh, let's first define them. And then let's talk about, you know, how those things tend to affect the enterprise value. And then if we could, let's talk in, talk about uh, some red flags on each of those. And then as we go through the discussion, if it's uh, germane, we'll talk about, you know, some of these other factors that can move uh, a deal price up and down. Does that work? That's great. Okay. So what is a holdback? So holdback is a category of money that is held back by the DSO at closing. And it's held back for a couple of different purposes. The first is indemnity. And what that means essentially is that you as a seller are going to indemnify and hold the DSO harmless from liabilities that arose prior to the closing date. And while the DSO could simply just come sue you for the money um, or come ask you to write them a check, they don't want to do that. They want to have the money handy and able to pay because a lot of times the, those liabilities are things like accounts payable that help run the practice and they don't want that to stop. They don't want the operations of the practice to stop. And so what they do is they hold back money in escrow so that they essentially can pull from it and use it in the event that they need to if a liability pops up from prior to the closing date. And yeah. so that is usually done in every DSO deal. Typically, the holdback amount is somewhere between 5 to 10%, depending on the enterprise value of the deal. And the time period is typically somewhere between the six to 18 month range, most commonly at the 12 months. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, and at that point, the money would be released to the seller. And that doesn't mean that the seller loses all of it. Maybe the DSO had to pull some of it and then they give the rest to the seller. But I would say that in almost all cases, the seller is able to receive all of that money back because usually, there aren't unforeseen liabilities hanging out there that are material. So that's one type of holdback. 
Like the, the other type is. Let me let me, uh, let me pause and just kind of uh, restate that, and then you give me the other type of holdback. But what I hear is, all right, I'm I'm going to start a DSO. Okay, um, I'm ready to cash in on the sweet private equity money and <laughs> make money on the backs of all these associate dentists. Okay, sorry, that's my single. <laughs> that's my single. Um, and I'm going to go approach a very successful dentist in my hometown, and I'm going to offer him ten million dollars. And you're saying a normal, uh, it would be normal for me to say, hey, yeah, I'm going to assign a value of $10 million to this deal. And we'll talk about how we break that up. But for sure, you know, somewhere between $500,000 and a $1 million, I'm going to keep in my bank account. It's, it might be legally yours, provided we meet some criteria in a contract. But I'm going to keep that money for about 12 months six to 18 months, give or take, but 12 months in most cases, in case you, the assuming, I, I assume you're a successful, ethical, honest, good dentist. And, but I don't know that for sure. And so just in case you're not all that I think you are, I'm going to keep some of this money in case I get in a lawsuit or I have to bail you out of some crazy situation, or there's just some billing, uh, you know, mishaps that require some extra cash be thrown in. Did I, those are my words. Did I capture that accurately? Yeah, I think that's accurate. And, and sometimes it may not be that they didn't know, they didn't think that the dentist is what they thought. Maybe the dentist, you know, in good faith, there weren't, you know, concealing anything. They just, something popped up that they yep. didn't know about or a lawsuit popped up, or, you know, something like that. So yeah, but that, that is accurate. Okay, perfect. And then, so you're saying there's another type of holdback. What's that? Yeah, we're seeing um, two other types of holdbacks. More recently, we didn't see these in prior years. We're seeing an accounts receivable holdback more and more now. I would still say it's not the norm, but we are seeing it more and more. And I think it's because these DSOs are sometimes having a hard time um, reconciling the accounts receivable to be completely accurate at closing. And so what they're doing is they're sort of and also, too, in fairness, a lot of times they need to line things up like two, three days before the closing date. So the AR number isn't exactly what it, you know, precise. Yep. Right. And they need to kind of true it up later. So they'll assign a value to that um, to that AR. And then that's sort of like the benchmark, you know, and then essentially they'll either go up or down based on what the AR actually is after reconciliation of the AR. Um, it, again, that's something that a, a dentist typically is always going to get. It's not as if they're not going to get the AR and the numbers should be accurate. The, you know, I do recommend the dentist put something in their legal agreement to say that they can dispute the calculation if they don't find it accurate, if they don't agree with it, but they're going to get it. It's just like not going to not necessarily all in their pocket at the closing day. Okay. Let me take uh... 90 days or something to shake out, you know, did, did Mrs. Smith really pay for her crown? Did, did we see the money hit the account? And okay, I got that. Yeah. And typically it's a few months before that reconciliation is finalized just because, you know, yeah. Take some time. Okay. And then there I'm, sounds like there's a third type. Yeah. There's a third type and that's an accounts payable holdback. And you might ask, well, why is there an accounts payable holdback? If you talked about the fact that there was already a holdback for indemnity that might include accounts payable, and that is something I can't answer. Um, you know, that's actually something I debate. And when we're looking at these letters of intent for, for doctors, we're saying, well, why is there an accounts payable holdback if there's already a holdback? Um, 
for indemnity purposes. And, and we don't typically get, um, you know, a great answer on that. So um, I, I think it might just be another way for the DSO to mitigate a little bit of risk in the deal, to be honest. But um, but maybe I just need to be keep some cash available to go try to buy that next practice while your 12 month waiting period is happening, right? Maybe either. Yeah, either that or they just are super, um, you know, I don't know what to call it, you know, anxious or, um, you know, they just they just want to make absolutely darn sure that everything is covered. And so it's almost like overkill and they create another um, another holdback just to sort of like mitigate their any potential risk they have in the deal. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe it's just like sort of like for, for the optics, another mitigating factor for their lender. So every deal has a holdback. There might be multiple types of holdbacks depending on the actual offer. Typical range on a holdback is five to 10%. And a typical time frame is six to 18 months with 12 months being norm. And uh, would you say, I would guess most dentists get the holdback with, with maybe some tweaking around the edges on accounts receivable numbers and things. But if they held back a million dollars on a $10 million deal, I'm probably going to get you know very close to that number hitting my bank account 12 months after the closing date. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Okay, perfect. Um, it, cases where a dentist wouldn't get the holdback, I would imagine would be fraud, you know, some kind of something that's severe. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I would say something like that. Or um, like I said, I mean, sometimes there's some, you know, accounts payable out there that the doctor, you know, wasn't aware of. Um, there could be a liability in some sort of like lawsuit, um, okay. you know, I, but it's pretty rare. Usually the doctor does get 100% of that. Okay, nice. All right, so what's an earnout, and how does that different than a holdback? So an earnout is money that's held back, and while the holdback money was actually earned at closing, it just wasn't paid yet. In case there was sort of a, a liability to claw back on, an earnout's money that has not been earned yet at the closing and needs to be earned in the future in order to obtain it. So usually the DSL will come to the doctor and say. You need to meet certain production goals or certain collection goals in the practice. And if you do, then we will pay you X amount of more money um, associated with the enterprise value that we provided you. Now, traditionally, I would say the earnouts were usually around 20%. Wow. Um, but, you know, I, I, there's so many different ways that these DSOs are doing deals now. I don't know that I would say that that's the standard by any means anymore. Um, and, and sometimes there are multiple different earnouts. Like the DSO will say, um, they'll have like different promissory notes where they'll say, if you hit, um, you know, X goals, you'll obtain this promissory note. If you obtain, you know, attain Y goals, then you'll get this other promissory note. There's different sort of notes that they can achieve. And, and oftentimes like the first note will be the easiest to achieve. You same with the second might be more in the realm of like what they're always doing in the practice. And then they kind of escalate and get more difficult where the last note is often very difficult to achieve. Um, and they'd have to hit some pretty high marks, which again is really why you need a team involved. If you're a doctor, you need a great financial analyst or CPA involved in your deal so that they can help you understand whether these goals are even going to be achievable when we're talking about these earnouts. Because what's the point of having this cool enterprise value? And an earnout if you really have no shot at achieving it. 
Another thing that can hamper dentists' ability to achieve an earnout is an associate, right? I mean, oftentimes the associate adds to the production of the practice. And so if like a DSO comes in and they scare the associate off and the associate leaves, now you got a lesser chance to, you know, obtain the earnout. And it's not always just an associate. I've seen it with the hygienist too, um, where, you know, the hygienist leaves and then it becomes a, a lot more difficult to achieve the earnout. But long story short, we're going down, you know, another path there. I think the bottom line is an earnout's money the doctor has not received yet at closing and has not earned yet at closing. And they need to meet certain goals in order to earn that money. Okay, let's get, I want to get understand the specifics here a little bit. I'm going to use my prototypical million dollar collecting GP practice. Okay. And um, let's say 750 of that, uh, let's use collections. Okay. Let's not use production. Let's use collections. 750, that uh, collections number is attributable to the doctor. Okay. That means 250 is attributed to the hygiene. Um, is the holdout, excuse me, is the earnout based on just the doctor's collections or doctor plus hygiene? And how does that work? That's a great question. Um, typically, the earnout is based on all the entire, in your, in your example, the, the collections of the entire practice, okay. regardless of who's doing it. Okay. Um, however, I, I was recently involved in a deal with an oral surgeon who, um, he also had an, op, you know, sort of like a, almost like a cyst, you know, an annex office and they did some, some hygiene work. And in that annex office, like he wanted high, the hygienist production, at least for that and for the perio that they were doing there to be included. And, um, and it was not so, okay. but yeah. usually it's, it's just all the collections of the office, mm -hmm. um, period. Okay. All right. So I've got some flexibility in terms of who actually brings in the production or collections. Right. What about, um, so I, let's, you know, I hit a million dollars last year. I'm 61 years old. I'm looking for the DSO to take some work off my plate. Is my earnout number going to be higher than a million dollars? Like, am I going to have to hit 1.1 or is a DSO going to say, no, just don't fall below a threshold of 900 and you can still earn the earnout? Like, what is common? Are they are they usually asking for more than I've previously done? The same, less? How does that work? I would say usually they're, you know, I gave an example earlier where they were asking for more, but it was almost like a sliding scale of promissory notes. Yep. Usually I would say it's based on what the practice has been doing. Okay. So I just need to maintain. Typical. Correct. The typical offer you see is just don't let your production and collections drop. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, are there any, um, I'm trying to think like how a, a dentist might game the system. Well, I'm going to add on six insurance companies or I'm going to, um, you know, I don't know, juice production somehow by, you know, I, I used to refer out endo now I'm going to keep it or something like that. They probably don't care. Right. If you're seeing patients and the, the dollars are coming through the door, they're not really going to scrutinize how the dollars showed up. Is that right? Yeah, no, because they, I mean, they, they make more money than the doctor does if the practice does well, because they bought either the whole practice or a, a majority of the practice. So the better the practice does, the better they do. They want to pay the earnout because if they're paying the earnout, it means that things are going well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, typically the, the interests are parallel there. Okay. Now let's, uh, look at the, typical deal of a dentist being required to stay around for five years. 
Okay. And, and I know that that's a, a subject that can be negotiated. Let's look at a five-year agreement. Is there uh, an earnout each year for each of the five years, or is there one big earnout at the end of five years? How does that typically work? That's a great question. Typically, the earnout is somewhere in the one to three year range. Um, traditionally, I would say the earnout was more like a one year earnout, sometimes two, but now we're seeing um, up to three years. In that one example I gave you of the multiple promissory notes, those were o- over a five year span. There's a one particular DSO out there that does a f- you know five years and five promissory notes. But I would say in most cases, the earnout is is in the one to two year range. Okay. Is it cumulative or do I, you know, do I get to start over at the beginning of every year? That's negotiable. You know, we've got some doctors that say, okay, you know, during year one, you have to hit this. If you do, you get X amount of money. During year two, you got to do it again. You'll get, you know, another sum of money. If you don't get it in year one, you don't get it. Um, but you'll have another opportunity in year two. Now, if I were on that deal, I would try to negotiate for a catch-up mechanism to where in year two, if you sort of like catch up and achieve what you did in year one and achieve year two, then you should be able to get, you know, all of it. But yeah, I mean, but usually I would say on the most cases, it's like one earn out, one period of time. That's it. Hmm. Okay. Nice. Um, Another question that came to mind. Okay. No, that's good. I think, uh, is there anything I'm missing in that? Any typical questions that come up? Well, I think the biggest question that comes up, and I don't know if this is better for today or for another podcast in our series, but, but is, you know, how, uh, in what circumstances does the doctor not receive the earnout other than not hitting the numbers? Oh, yeah. Okay. And I don't know if that's if that's better for another podcast. Let's I, let's tease yeah. it. That's really good because my my first question is: Are you kidding me? That sounds like the definition. Like, how in the world could they keep the money? Is if I hit my collections target, my production target, and right. uh, what I hear you saying is, oh, they've got ways, uh, which is great. So let's save it though because that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll save um, it. And then. Uh, just the, the you said twenty percent of the enterprise value is typical, but you're seeing th- that number kind of all over the w- wide range. There is that right? And I, yeah, I would say it's a wide range now. Yeah. But the, tra- the traditional model, I think, was twenty percent. Okay, and I would imagine the lower the earnout, the lower the enterprise value. Higher the earnout, higher the enterprise value. Is that true? Right. Yes, I would. T- yes, I would say that that's accurate. Okay, perfect. What is I also throw in that not like while I, I don't think I've ever seen a DSO deal that doesn't have a holdback, um, except for really rare circumstances. There are deals that don't have earnouts. Oh, interesting. Okay, right. not every deal has an earnout, yeah. but I would still say the majority have some mechanism of, of an earnout to keep have the doctor have skin in the game. Uh, yeah, if I'm running a DSO, that seems like a no brainer. But uh, yeah, maybe there is a circumstance where that could make sense. Okay. All right. Subordination. What is subordination? So subordination is a mechanism that um, the, the lender has, the lender of the DSO has where they become first in line. And so what that means is, is that if the DSO owes the doctor any money, mm-hmm. and that could be via earnout, that could be via holdback, that the interest 
of the doctor in that money is subordinate to that of the lender of the DSO. So what does that mean in English? It means that if the DSO has problems and they haven't paid their lender, their lender is first in line to be paid before the doctor's earn out, which may have been earned. And, you know, that obviously is one of the ways where the doctor could not achieve the earn out um, that we just talked about that we would save for another podcast. But um, but so so long story short, I mean, even if the doctor earns the earn out, if the DSO is strapped for money and they owe the lender, the lender is first in line. And that's just tough luck for the dentist. Now, the reality is if things are going so poorly that the DSO is having a hard time paying, you know, all that it's owed, usually that means the practice wouldn't have achieved the earn out to begin with, but not always. Yeah. Um, and so, and that, and that's also a difficult thing too, because the doctor's sitting there saying, well, the holdback money has actually been earned already. You're just like holding it just in case. Um, whereas the earnout, you know, I had to earn it. So, I mean, I, but either way, I mean, the doctor will have earned the money if they earn the earnout. And so it is subordinate to that other lender. Also, there's a collateralization element where the lender will collateralize typically the stock of the doctor. Um, and so if there's a default, by the DSO with their lender, the, the DSO, the lender for the DSO has collateral and that collateral is typically the stock. And I will also say that that stock, I'm sorry, that, that collateral, it, there's usually a cross collateral mecha- mechanism. So like it could be somebody else's practice that causes, um, you know, a default, but you know, your stock is still collateralized. And so, um, I think it's important to ask if your stock is collateralized as a doctor, whether or not there is a cross collateralization element where it's collateralized with other practices or if this is solely based on your stock. Okay. I'm going to repeat this back. And then I, I think I've got the summary uh, or, or kind of the headline here. I think so. But you tell me. So you're saying, hey, um, you can do everything right. You could uh, get, you know, qualify for the holdout, you can qualify for the earnout. If the DSO parent company runs into issues of some kind and they're not able to pay you or, or they're not able to pay a bank that they owe money to, the bank is going to get paid first, regardless of how ethical and honest you were. Correct? Correct. Okay. And then also, if you're part of a large group of dental practices, your practice or your skin in the game deals, you know, your stock or uh, somehow you are and can be tied into other dental practices and this parent DSO organization um, if they run into issues. And that can affect you regardless of whether or not you did anything wrong. Yeah, that's accurate. And I would add to that, that every DSO practice is tied to other practices in some respect, because that they're usually not the only DSO practice that that um, that DSO has acquired, right? And so yeah. if there's a network of DSO practices, I will say usually what I see is if one, if there's a default with one, it causes a default with all of them. And so, you know, even if you're doing everything right as a doctor in your practice and you're not the cause of the default, um, you, you're still, your stock is collateralized and could be foreclosed on. Now I've never, you know, as a caveat, I've never seen that occur. I've never seen um, a lender foreclose on stock and I've never seen um, earn out or hold back not be paid because of a subordination element with the lender. 
Um, I would think that that would be extraordinarily rare. And I would also say that, again, usually if things are going that bad, the prac you wouldn't have achieved the earnout to begin with. However, yeah. it is a possibility and every dentist needs to know this. But I'll also say that if you're afraid of that as a dentist, you can't do a DSO deal. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. The grass isn't greener. Yeah, you can't. Uh, okay, got it. Okay, so the headline that I get from this is I was wondering, because I know the big, big DSO offers tend to be lower than and less than um, a smaller DSO, either DSO just getting started or someone that's aggressively trying to grow. And you just answered the question of why a dentist would probably join, you know, a Heartland and MB2, a, a, one of these, you know, multi-hundred now into the thousands uh, group is because they've demonstrated that they're going to be around and they can pay their bill. Exactly. And, and they have track record. They know how to recapitalize and they, you know, they know, they know what they're doing essentially. And so you're trading potentially some opportunity and some money for a better chance of success technically, because usually if, if there's a new DSO, there's more risk because they haven't been on the track record that the DSOs that have more experience have. Good. All right. If you're listening um, this is fantastic information, by the way, which I have trouble finding other places. So I hope people are finding a lot of value here. I am. Um, we're going to get into the nitty gritty weeds in the next three episodes, so five, six, and seven, uh, get into representations, the legal documents, uh, restrictive covenants, employment, post-sale issues that are of insane importance, insane importance. Your temptation as a listener might be to skip ahead to some of the, um, the cool, I'll call them the cool episode, eight, eight and nine, where we're going to talk about like the second bite at the apple, you know, the, the big um, money that can be made. Uh, but what I would caution you to do is don't skip past it because this is where David really shines is uh, the next few episodes. So David, thank you for this. Really, really appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you on the next ones. Thanks so much, Brian. Look forward to it.